Have you suffered so many things in vain, if it be yet in vain? He therefore that ministereth to you the Spirit and work of miracles among you, doeth he it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Even as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is every one that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident. Just shall live by faith. Father, thank you for the good word of God. Thank you for the clarity of the scripture. Lord, we pray that you give us wisdom. Lord, give us a concentration and a focus upon this blessed book. Lord, may you work these truths down deep in all of our heart and remind us of what the power of the gospel really is after we get saved. Lord, I need your help to preach tonight. A lot of material, a lot of things, dear God. And I pray, Lord, that you would draw in the wonderings of our mind, for you'd clear the atmosphere. Lord, remove every hindrance, and may you give liberty, grace, and power to this service. And we'll thank you for what you do. In Jesus' precious name, amen. You may be seated. Preaching on the thought, the just shall live by faith. We started over in the book of Habakkuk where it's first mentioned in chapter number 2 and verse number 4. And there we saw the principle of this thought, the just shall live by faith. The foundation of it is the character of the sovereignty of Almighty God. Brother Habakkuk was disturbed about his day like we are. He made his complaint before God. God answered him, and then he didn't understand why God chose to go the route that he was going, and so he got real confused about all that, but in wisdom, he went to his watchtower, and he waited upon God to see what God would answer him when he was reproved. Well, the Lord answered him, and if you really want an answer from God, he'll give you one. And in that answer, the Lord told him, The just shall live by his faith. Habakkuk, you trust me. You rest in me. You know that I'm God. And besides me, there is none else. And you can have faith in me that I'm going to do right. Even when you don't understand what I'm doing or why I'm doing. I am from everlasting to everlasting. And I have a divine plan, a sovereign plan over it all. You just trust me and rest in me. Well, that helped Habakkuk so much. In chapter number 3, goes out of there saying, I'm going to rejoice in the God of my salvation. And he said, I'll draw my strength from the Lord. And as a result, my joy has come back. My spring is in my step. And I've got a song. And he said to the chief singer on my stringed instruments, you start playing and singing. I'm living by faith. I'm living by faith, regardless of what comes or regardless of what happens. Hallelujah. Well, that wasn't the end of that thought, the just shall live by faith. God repeats that phrase three times in the New Testament. And as one writer of old said, God uses four books in the Bible as commentaries on the one phrase, the just shall live by faith. Habakkuk, we see the foundation of it. In the book of Romans 1.17, it appears again. And here we see the fruit of it, the power, the conversion of sinners. And the part of the phrase that is emphasized is the just and justification by faith. And until you get Romans 1, 2, and 3 in your heart, you won't have a whole lot of assurance because you won't understand, I hate to use this word, but the mechanics of salvation. It is a legally binding document. Romans is the courtroom drama of redemption. 
all the evidence is brought against us and we are condemned for there's none righteous, no, not one. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. To those that have said, I'll justify myself, God condemns those and tells us self-righteousness is not going to get the job done either. But he tells us in Romans 3 that it's Jesus whom God set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past that God might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. So in Romans 1.17 he says, Therefore it is written, The just shall live by faith. And the only way to be justified is by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ who suffered, bled, and died and then rose from the dead, ascended on high and is there ever ready to make intercession and by the virtue, the price paid in His blood, that's the only grounds on which God will look at any sinner and say, I declare you righteous. And it's because you're in His Son and you have trusted Him as Lord and Savior and He's washed you in that precious blood. So I say hallelujah. The just, the just, the just shall live by faith. Now we come over to the book of Galatians. And again we read in verse number 11, the just shall live by faith. And the apostle had just finished talking to these believers and asking them the question, Who had bewitched you? You thought you were becoming more spiritual, but instead you've had a wizard spell cast upon you. And he asked the clear question, Do you think that you have uh, begun in the Spirit? Are you now so foolish that you think that you can be made perfect by the flesh? He's talking about the center part of this phrase. The just shall live by faith. How do we live after we're justified? How do we continue on? And again, in verse number 10, he talks about, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in the things which are written in the book of the law. He tells us that we continue on in the gospel through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. You don't begin by being saved by grace through the power of the blood of Jesus. Now that you're saved, you lay all that aside and you go back under a legalistic self-effort works to merit favor and gain favor in the sight of God. That's not how it happens. You weren't justified by the law before you got saved and you're not going to be justified by the law after you get saved. And the principle is that we shall live by the power of the Holy Ghost through the promise of God. Now, there's a lot of what we call legalism, and uh, folk give all kind of definitions to that. But legalism is establishing your own righteousness and through your own ability meriting favor in the sight of God. Galatians deals with all of this. In the book of Habakkuk, we see the mantle of a prophet. In the book of Romans, we see the robe of a judge. But in the book of Galatians, we see the fist of a fighter. Paul has preached the gospel. These Celts, these barbarians, these Vikings, these folk that have come out of Scotland, they have gotten saved by the grace of God. These Galatians have been born into God's family. Now these Jews are coming in there and saying, oh yeah, you're saved by grace, but now let's get back under the law. Let's get back under the ceremonies. Let's get back under all these uh, do's and don'ts of the law so you can become spiritual. Paul is a deceiver and a liar. You need to follow us. And so Paul is so upset about this that he's going to really deal with some things, and he's going to use some very harsh terms against those that are coming in to defile the people of God. Now again, as I said, the context of Galatians is the shall live. How shall we live after we're saved by the grace of God? Now I'm going to run through the book of Galatians several times. This is a Bible conference. You're starting in Bible school. 
I believe in Bible preaching. I listened to WTBI coming over here the other night and some jack leg my soul. Uh, he, wasn't, he wasn't preaching Bible. He's preaching philosophy. He's preaching newfangled stuff. He wasn't, he wasn't looking at what the Bible says. He's telling us what he wanted the Bible to say. And that aggravates the fire out of me for men to not take the Bible as it is. I said when I got saved, if the Bible says stand on your head and juggle peanuts and swallow them down your nose, that's what I'm going to try to do. Amen. It's not my business to change it or to twist it or to turn it around or make it fit in my little knot hole or in my little philosophy. And that's what these folk were doing and Paul rebukes all of that. Now we note in verse number 3 of chapter 3, he said, having begun, are you now? He's talking about shall live. Verse 5, he that ministers by the Spirit or by the law. Verse number 7, he talks about living of faith. Verse number 10, he uses the word continueth. Verse number 11, shall live. Verse number 12, doeth. He's talking about a continual continuation after we're justified and saved by the grace of God. Now notice number one, the corruption uh, of the uh, Galatians, the corruption of the Galatians. Now Paul had faced this in Jerusalem. In chapter number 2, verse 1 through verse number 19, he tells us three years after he had laid up with God down there in Arabia, he went up to Jerusalem, and when he got up there, he found out that there were some of the brethren that were trying to make the Gentiles live like Jews. He went back 17 years later, and they were still at it. And he rebuked Peter to his face. And he said, Peter, how is it that you are living like a Gentile, and yet you're telling the Gentiles to live like the Jews? It's just not right. And he said, Barnabas got caught away with their dissimulation. And boy, he had to deal with this. But he said, when they came in to spy out our liberty, I did not give them space, no, not for one hour. And said they seemed to be somewhat, they were the big shots, they were the names on the billboard, they were the hierarchy of the day. But he said they were nothing as far as I'm concerned because I know what God gave me. He gave me the revelation of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and I wasn't going to be brought into subjection to them, no, not for one hour. Now, this corrupt outfits, they brought a temptation to reject Paul's ministry. Look in chapter number 1 and verse number 6. I marvel that you're so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. Who was it went up there and preached to him? Who waded into this heathen bunch? Who proclaimed the word of God? It was the apostle Paul through the power of the Holy Ghost. And now they've turned their back on the very one that led them to God. And it amazes me how that people will get saved out of sin and they'll come and sit under a ministry and then somebody will come and whisper some foul something, some heresy in their ear and the first thing you know, they start cussing the very one that God used to see them saved by the grace of God. And I've seen that happen many times. Go in the air and see people saved by the grace of God and God bless and move. And then all of a sudden they just turn on you for no reason because somebody has filled their minds and their heart with a bunch of corrupt stuff that's absolutely not so. Now over in chapter number four, I want you to look there. You're going to follow me in your Bible. Use your Bible tonight. In verse number 11, he said, I'm afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. Brethren, I beseech you, be as I am, for I am as ye are, yet have not injured, you have not injured me at all. You know that how through the infirmity of the flesh I preached the gospel unto you at the first, and my temptation which was in the flesh you despised not, nor rejected, but received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. Where is then the blessedness you spoke of? For I bear your record that if it had been possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them unto me. Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Boy, 
Apostle said, now hang on here. Boy, what, what happened to all this stuff? Evidently he had bad eyes, maybe getting stoned at Lystra or whatever. They'd have plucked their eye, give him an eye transplant. Boy, they loved him so much. And now what's happened to all that is because these corruptors have come in. And boy, they'll infiltrate a congregation. And they'll infiltrate a people. And then they brought not only a temptation to reject Paul's ministry, but a temptation to reject the message that he preached. Look over there in chapter number 1 and verse number 4. They wanted them to leave a pure gospel. It says in verse number 4, Who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God our Father. And they wanted them to leave that power to deliver from the present evil world. And in verse number 7, to go to a perverted gospel, which is not another but there be some of you that trouble you and would pervert the gospel. A perversion of the gospel is a twisting and a turning of the gospel. They turn from a clear gospel to chapter number 2 and verse number 21. He's talked about them frustrating the grace of God. From a clear message to a frustration of the grace of God. That means to nullify and reject that grace and begin to operate on their own strength and on their own power. In chapter number 3, in verse number 1, he said they're causing you to turn from a spiritual gospel to a bewitched gospel. Who hath bewitched you? In chapter number 4 and verse number 9, Instead of being involved in a strong gospel, he says in 4 and verse number 9, uh, how that they have turned again uh, to the weak and the beggarly elements. Instead of experiencing the power of the gospel, now they've turned you back to weak and beggarly elements. In chapter number 4 and verse number 17, instead of them being zealously affected for the gospel, now they're zealously affected for what these Judaizers are feeding them. And then he says they've turned the message from the freedom of Christ to being entangled in the yoke of bondage. Look in chapter 5 and verse 1. Stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. He said at one time you were entangled in that. But now... God sets you free, but they want you to be brought back into slavery. In chapter number 5 and verse number 4, he said, Rejecting this message is going to be removing yourself from an effectual gospel to a non-effective gospel. Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever are justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. Fallen from grace means that you think you're justified by the law. And these bunch of Armenian free will Baptists, uh, they're falling from grace because they're justifying themselves by the law. And they say, well, now, you know, you, you, you're not saved now because you did this. You're not saved now because that happened. You're not saved now because if you did this, you couldn't be. Well, what saves you in the first place? Huh? Because you quit cussing, that saved you? What if you slip up and hit the wrong nail and the old word comes from way back there? You say, oh, it's not in my mind, preacher, hogwash. You're like a little boy sitting there, a feller pulling on the lawnmower, it wouldn't crank. He told that feller, he said, my daddy cusses the lawnmower when it won't crank. He said, I forgot all them words that I got saved. He kept pulling on it, pulling on it, and sweat popping out on his brow. He said, well, said you said you forgot him. Just keep pulling on that cord. You'll remember him. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> and it's falling from grace. It's not that you lose salvation. It means that you've removed yourself out from under the grace of God, and you've gone to being justified by the law and by your own works. Now, don't cut me off. We're going to get to something in a little bit what a real Christian is and how it's produced. Amen. I want to head to the place of spirituality, but you're not going to get to the north by going south. Amen. Chapter number 5 and verse number 7, from having a gospel that would help. He said now in chapter 5 and verse number 7, who you did run well, who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth. Instead of being helped, they're being hindered. 
They're being tripped up. Somebody's standing. They're building a block wall. And then in chapter 6 and verse number 12, instead of glorifying Christ, they become a fair show in the flesh. And as many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised, only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. Now their scapegoat was circumcision. If you're not circumcision, you can't be saved. All of that. Well, we've got other things besides circumcision today, you know. Man, I got sick of going to some of these preacher fellowships and it become who can have the greatest fair show of the flesh and who can be the most spiritual. Bless God, if you got on wire rim glasses, then you're not spiritual. You got to have them big, thick black ones running around your nose or you're not spiritual. Bless God, are you a cowboy or are you a, are you a preacher? Get them cowboy boots off there and get your wingtips. Ain't nobody can be spiritual unless they got wingtips. My soul, Jess, don't you wear a shirt, and especially a checkered blue shirt. You got to have on a white shirt if you're going to preach in my camp. Because that's all the way God will bless you, and that's all the way you can be spiritual. And all you boys need to get your razor and shave that beard off, you know. Shave, that's a spiritual thing. Shave the beard off. Shave the mustache off. You got to do that. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, it's amazing. God made Adam and Eve, and he made Adam with the ability to have a beard, not Eve. Nature tells you it's all right. The bull moose has got the beard. The he goat's got the beard, not the she. God's high priest in Psalms 133 had a beard, and that ointment fell off his head and got tangled up in it. And then they plucked the hair off the face of Jesus when they crucified him. And I've heard them say that's because they couldn't shave the last three days. And I can see them big old burly Roman soldier with a pair of tweezers plucking his little, little whiskers out saying, Oh, I bet you that hurt. I bet you that hurt. That ain't how it happened. I know a lot of them came through the hippie movement and all that stuff. And I'm not for that. I believe we ought to look clean, look right. I don't believe we ought to be a bunch of woolly boogers that look like you come out of Grizzly Adams, amen? I believe we ought to dress right and smell right and all of that, but friend, this stuff, uh, who's the greatest fair show of the flesh? Got to have the fair show of the flesh. That's what Galatianism produces. The corruption rebuke, number two, characters revealed of who's doing this troubling. Look in chapter number 1 and verse number 7. He goes back and begins to call them by name. Which is not another gospel. And there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. He said they're troublers and they're perverts. There's a lot of spiritual perverts in the pulpits across America. Perverts. Then in chapter 2 and verse number 13, he tells us they're dissimulators. And the other Jews dissimulated. Likewise with them in so much that Barnabas was also carried away with their dissimulation. Dissimulation is hypocrisy to be in what they really were not. They were fooling everybody. They were claiming one thing, but really they were something else. Peter got tied up in that dissimulation and Paul rebuked him for the dissimulation. Here you are living like a Gentile. You sit there and eat with all those Gentiles but when James and his bunch showed up oh you jumped up from the table and you went over there and you ate with them because you didn't want them seeing you fellowship with them Gentiles. That's dissimulation. Ain't gonna hang out with that crowd no because I'm afraid oh Snooter Nose and Dr. Sound and Brass going to see me with that. No, I can't do that. Chapter 2 and verse number 14. Look what he calls them there. But when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, Thou being a Jew, livest after the man of the Gentiles, and not do as the Jews. Why compellest thou the Gentiles to do as the Jews? He said they walked not uprightly. They were crooked. They wasn't walking upright and straight. They were a crooked outfit. Chapter number 3 and verse number 1, he said they are bewitchers. They cast spells. Chapter number 5 and verse 1, they'll entangle you in the yoke of bondage. They're slave traders. 
And they'll keep you in slavery under their bondage. In chapter 5, in verse number 7, he said they are hinderers. They beat back. They stand in the way. And instead of progressing and sicking you on to go with God, they'll stop you dead in their tracks, say, whoa, 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 you got to go our route or you can't go. I put the stop signs up right here. I don't care who you are. If you don't follow it like we follow it and do it like we do it, there ain't no way God can use you. Ain't no way God can, can bless you unless you do it like we do it. And so he talks about the character revealed of these Judaizers in Galatians. But then thirdly, the apostle calls them the remembrance. Boy, memory is a wonderful thing. Peter said, I want to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. And if we go back and remember some things, it might help us to get straightened out right now. In chapter number 3 and verse number 1, look what he said. O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you, that ye should not obey the truth. I want you to remember now before whose eyes Jesus Christ had been evidently set forth crucified among you. That phrase literally means, and Paul says this, I placarded Jesus in front of you. It was like I painted a picture and held big plaques up and I evidently showed you Jesus Christ crucified for your salvation. He said, I preached it so you could hear the crack of the whip, so you could hear the slapping of the soldiers, so you could literally see the blood squirt out of his brow as the thorns were placed upon it, as his body was riven and his flesh was torn. He said, I brought the crowd before you and had them cry, crucify, crucify, give us Barabbas and let you feel the injustice of that day. He said, I showed you as he walked up through the streets of Jerusalem and they compelled Simon of Serena to carry, help him carry his cross as he went up that hill and he laid down upon that cross. He said, I'll let you hear the hammer as it hammered and blood splattered everywhere and they drove the nails in his hand and they drove the nails in his feet. He said, I'll let you hear the thud of the cross as it lifted up and jerked all the bones of Jesus out of joint and he cried out upon the cross, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. He said, I told you about the shrouded darkness that came over all the earth and let you hear the drip, drip, drip of his blood as it came dripping down the cross. I let you feel the heat as he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? As he took our dredge down his soul and the Lord bruised him and poured our hell and our judgment out upon him. He said, I showed you him. Not a bone was broken. They pierced his side. He cried, it is finished. Gave up the ghost. He said, I told you how the earth rumbled and the rocks were rent and the veil was twisted in two. How they laid him in the borrowed tomb. And on Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene said, He's risen, He's risen, He's risen. My Lord is risen. He said, I preached that gospel before you. I placarded Him. I showed you that He proved Himself 40 days and 40 nights alive after many infallible proofs. And then He ascended up the glory. And there He's seated at the right hand of the majesty of the throne of God on high. And He ever lives to make intercession for them that would come to God by Him. He said, do you remember when you entered into that, that preaching? Do you remember when God just brought us in and focused and drew us into it? And you said, oh, my, my, all that for me. All that for me is wicked. Forgive me. Forgive me. And if he saved that thief, he might just save me. And you remember getting saved by the grace of God? He said, do you remember how you got in? You got in through the crucified Lord Jesus. He said, I want you to remember in chapter number one and verse number four, and boy, he cranks this book out starting with this. Who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God our Father. Not only deliver us from our sins, but deliver us from this present evil world. 
He gave himself for us that through him there might be power to be delivered. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us, as E-I-N-G, that's in the continuous, teaching us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust that we might live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present evil world. And that comes by receiving and understanding the grace of Almighty God. Chapter number 2 and verse 16, he said, don't you remember it's impossible to be justified by the law before or after you are saved. Look in verse 16. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. For while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners. Is there therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid. You cannot be justified by the law before you get saved, as you are saved, or after you are saved. It's an impossibility. Chapter 2 and verse number 19. For I, through the law, am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. He told him in Corinthians, he said, a woman, her husband dies, she's free to marry. He said, through the cross, I died to the law. And as a result, I'm married now to Christ and to the grace of God. Whew, Hallelujah. Look in chapter 2 and verse number 20. He said, here it comes. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by what? The faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Crucifixion in Christ brings me to resurrection in Christ, and it's through him Christ now liveth in me. You see, we're coming out of the principle of the law works into the grace of God and a living Lord in our soul. Oh, it's going to get more clear as you go through here. Chapter number 3, verse 2 and 3, he said, Have you received the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of the faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? No, you're not made perfect by the flesh. Matter of fact, in Galatians 5.15, he said, you bite and devour one another is what, what that will bring you into. Look in chapter 3 and verse number 10. For as many as of the works of the law are under the curse, you want to be under the curse? Then get under the works of the law. Well, preacher, you know, I'm doing, oh yeah. But which part are you not doing? I'm keeping, yeah. Are you keeping it all? Is there one point that you've offended? Because it's like throwing a baseball through that window. You just got one big hole in there, but it runs the whole window. As many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. You don't just pick out certain elements. Well, I'm doing this, I'm not doing that. He did, did I? I didn't do this, I'm not doing this. You don't pick out certain elements. You've got to do it and you've got to continue all of it for the entire journey. You don't just pick out a few and say, well, you know, I married enough favor there. I, I built some points up, so now I'll, I'll, I'll sort of bank off them points. No, that's not how it works. Chapter 3 and verse number 21. He said, is the law against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness would have been by the law. Would have been no need for Jesus to have died on the cross. If there was a law that you could have kept that would give you life. 
And if it could have come through that route, then Jesus died in vain. My. Verse 22. But the scripture hath concluded all under sin that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. He said, here's the other route. Here's the right route. You're following the wrong route by this law-keeping business. The right route is that you come to Him by the promise of faith of Jesus Christ given to them that might believe. Hallelujah. Then He said, all right, let me give you a couple of illustrations. In chapter 3, verse 24 through 25, He said, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us where? Where did the school bus pick us up at? Where does it drop us off at? It brings us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. A school bus is not the end. That's just the transportation to get us there. Paul said, let me tell you about the law. There's nothing wrong with it. I wouldn't have known it was wrong to covet had the law said thou shalt not covet. I wouldn't have known that I was a sinner had it not been for the law. But the law cannot, will not, shall not save anybody. The law was given to condemn us and to show us our need of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 25, but after the faith has come, we're no longer under a schoolmaster. Goodbye, schoolmaster. My teacher now is Jesus. Thank you, schoolmaster, for bringing me to Jesus. But that ends it. It's over. I'm in another classroom. I'm under another teacher. I'm under another authority. And that authority is Jesus. For you're all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. It don't mean everybody's the children of God. Don't get this stupid thought that all alls in the Bible mean every human being. Look at the context of it. For we are all the children of God. Oh, we're all the children of God. Universalism, Armenianism, we're all the children. Hold on, read the rest of it. By faith in Christ Jesus. If you don't have faith in Christ Jesus, you are not a child of God. You are of your father, the devil. Amen. <laughs> Oh, hallelujah. Then he goes on and says, let me illustrate it again now by adoption. Verse number 1, chapter 4. Now I say this, the heir, as long as he's a child, differed nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all. Now the Greeks adopted their own children. They were 13, 14 years old, different ages there. But as long as he was considered a child, he's no more than a servant. He said, uh, we were children. We were in bondage to the elements of the world. He talked about how these children were under tutors and governors until, until the time appointed by the Father when they were adopted. And when they were adopted, they would come out from under the tutors. They came out from under the governors. And now they become a full rank, full blown son. And they had an adoption ceremony. They adopted their own children. And at that adoption ceremony, he become a man. He got a ring on his finger, which was the family credit card. He got a robe on his back, which was the testimony that he was a full-blown son, like a soldier getting a uniform. Praise God, he got an establishment in the family. And that tutor, that schoolmaster, said, hey, boy, you come here. He said, uh-uh, I ain't your boy no more. You've tutored me. you beat me. You've uh, been into submission to you. I'm done with you now because my daddy has adopted me. A lot of God's children don't understand that. That prodigal son came home. You know what they had? When he come home, they had an adoption ceremony. Praise God. I imagine he ran out, therefore he was adopted. But when he came home, the father said, put the ring on his finger, put the robe on his back, put the shoes on his feet, put the roast in the oven, let's have a sacrifice of blood. And now my son that was dead is now alive. He was lost, but now he's found. And he adopted him and that older brother, oh my. He blew up and got mad. 
Aha, Father, here you have made merry over him. Here you have, you got the fatted calf for him. Here you have, give him the ring and the rope. You've never made merry over me. And the father said, son, son, I'm surprised at you. All I have is thine. At any time you wanted a calf or rejoicing, all you had to do was just say, son, you're an adopted son too. You, it belongs to you. And you're not in you act, running around here acting like I want you to be a servant and a slave. No, you're an heir of God and a joint heir in Christ Jesus. And we run around like we're second-rate citizens with our head down between our legs. When God says, listen, you have been adopted and you've been given sonship rights. And through the blood of Jesus, I'm going to let you into my throne room of grace. Your pastor, this evangelist, don't have any more pull with God than you do. Because my pull with God is by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you learn that your pull with God is through the blood of Jesus, then that gives you a full entrance and an access into the throne of grace just like me or anybody else. Hallelujah. The Lord said, in case you haven't got it yet, let me give you a third illustration. And it's about Abraham and his two sons. Look in chapter number 4, verse number 22. As it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by the bondmaid and the other by a free woman. One was the product of the flesh. The other one was the product of the free woman, Sarah, his wife. The Bible says in verse 22, But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh. But he of the free woman was by promise. Abraham, you're going to be a father of many nations. Oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. He said, no, 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 no. I'm not talking about Ishmael. I'm talking about Sarah's going to be the mom and you're going to be the daddy. She laughed. God said, we'll call him Isaac, which means little laughter. And God got the last laugh in it all. Hallelujah. Which things are an allegory. For there are two covenants. The one from the Mount Sinai which gendereth the bondage, which is Agar. For this Agar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, answereth the Jerusalem, which now is, and is in the bondage of her children. But Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice thou barren that bearest not. Bring forth and cry thou that travailest not. For the desolation hath many more children than she which has an husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was are the children of promise. You got an old man in you. No promise is given to him. He's not an heir of anything except to go back to dust. And God said flesh and blood's not going to inherit the kingdom of God. But in me is an Isaac. In me is a new man. In me is a promised son that came by salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. And Isaac became heir of all things. And he didn't have to uh, 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 grunt and groan and beg his father Abraham, Oh, Abraham, please, please give me a well. Abraham, please give me the land of Canaan. Oh, Abraham, please. No, he didn't have to. He just, it was his. It was his. God promised. God gave. It was his. We're trying to get God to give us something that he's already given us. Amen. Verse 30, cast out the bondwoman and her son. For the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not of the children of the bondwoman, but of the free. Hallelujah. <laughs> Oh, I like those illustrations. Chapter 5, verse 4, Christ has become of no effect. You go back under the law. And then I want you to look thirdly at the continuation in the race. Well, how do we continue? Well, there are many things that Galatians deals with about continuing on. We continue, chapter 3, and verse number 21 and 22, we continue by promise. By promise. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing comes by the word of God. How is our faith founded? What does our faith draw from? It draws from the promise. Chapter 3, verse 21. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. 
For if there had been a law given that we could have given life, verily righteousness would have been by the law. But the scripture hath concluded all under sin that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. Who gets the promise? Them that believe by faith. How do we continue in the race? We continue by faith. Receiving the promises of God, having therefore these promises, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and the spirit, perfecting holiness in the sight of God. How do we continue on? Look in chapter 3, verse number 2. This only would I learn of you. Receive ye the Spirit by the works of the Lord, by the hearing of faith. How did the Holy Ghost come in you? Did you finally work it up enough? Or did you trust Christ as your Lord and Savior? That blood washed away all your sins. And as a result, God cleansed your soul and made it a holy temple. So holy that Solomon, 130,000 bullocks, blood ran knee deep. And then God filled the temple. And boy, when you bow and let blood run knee deep in your soul, God will fill your temple with the Holy Ghost of God and seal you unto the day of redemption. Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, or are you now made perfect by the flesh? Verse number 10 through 14, For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them, that no man justified by the law in the sight of God. It's evident, for the just shall live by faith. And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on the tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. You want to get full of the Holy Ghost? Get your eyes on the cross and on Jesus and on what He did for you. You want to get full of the Holy Ghost? Draw your strength from Christ Jesus who is all in all. Now turn over to Galatians chapter number 5. You preach a message like this and there will be some that say, Well, that means we've got liberty. So I can do what I want to do. Live like I want to live. Yeah. First thing them old gals will do, go get their old tight blue jeans on, start showing their possums wallowing down the road. They'll forget there's nine buttons on that shirt and they'll only button up about three of them. Amen. Sensualness and carnality comes and I've watched them. And they're saying, well, we're just legalists and we're not going to live like that. Now, hang on a minute. What does the promises of God and what does getting your eyes on Jesus produce? Well, I'll tell you this. Here's what the works of the flesh are. Look in verse number 19 to chapter number 5. God said, you want to gauge on whether you're living in the spirit or in the flesh? He said, here it is. The works of the flesh are manifest, which are these adultery, that's sexual sins among married folk. Fornication, that's sexual sins among unmarried folk and outside the bonds of marriage. Uncleanliness, that's just getting impure. Lasciviousness, that's sensualness. That's this provocativeness. It's ungodliness. You go into a lot of churches and say, I'm not a legalist. Yeah, but you're full of the flesh. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Well, like Billy Kelly, old gal sat on the front row and she had on her miniskirt and all that. And then he preached, caught and hacked around a minute. He said, is there a butcher in the house? Is there a butcher in the house? The little skinny fellow in the back said, yes, sir, Mr. Kelly, I am. He said, well, how about coming up here and dressing these two heifers, will you? <laughs> I feel like calling on a butcher sometimes when I go to the house of God because they're living in lasciviousness. No reason, no reason for a woman to run around provoking other men. 
Your husband's the only one you ought to provoke, and that ought to be in pride. Amen. If you say you don't know if you're in the flesh, idolatry, putting stuff before the Lord, witchcraft, rebellions is the sin of witchcraft, hatred, hatred is as much as murder, variance, that's the thing, you just can't get settled, you're always tossing back and forth, then emulations, that's those uh, uh, things that are uh, fightings, and then jealousies, that's hostile feelings due to the blessings on somebody else. <laughs> I talked to somebody the other day. That old rich person out there, I said, listen, don't ever be jealous of a rich person. If they're lost, that's all the heaven they're going to have. And I said, I don't care if I go by a man's house and he's got a big old mansion. I praise God, bless his wife with one too. Why should it hurt me? Why should it bother me? You drive up the new car out here in the parking lot, I said, glory to God, I hope it's paid for. Amen. Bless him with it, Lord. Help him with jealousy. That's flesh. That's stinking flesh. Amen. Emulations, wrath, strife, seditions. Seditions, that's undercurrent, undercode. You know, when you have an undercurrent running around in the church, there's somebody in the flesh. A sedition's an overthrow. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to move that power out of the way and we're going to be the power. Heresies, that's false doctrine. Study to show thyself approved unto God, rightly dividing the word truth. If you don't rightly divide this book, you can become a heretic in a hurry. This is a 66-stringed harp that's in perfect harmony one with another. And the devil knows how to quote it, but Jesus said it is written again. And again is oscillatory repetition. You play that C string on your guitar and that C string on the piano start vibrating because there's an oscillator, there's a connection between the two. They're on the same wavelength. This Bible don't have haywired wavelengths. Jesus said it's written again, rightly dividing. I've got a lot of, had a lot of gospel tents through the years and some of them you can stretch as tight as you want to stretch and you ain't going to get the pucker out because somebody laid that cloth out and they didn't cut it right. You've got to have that cloth cut right so that when it's pitched, you don't have the puckers and you don't have all that. A building, you look at a building out of square, out of kelter, somebody didn't rightly divide. They didn't cut the concrete. They didn't work the two-bys. They didn't put the wraps. Something's wrong on that. And boy, you go into a lot of churches and they're wopsided. You know, there was a crooked man who had a crooked house, who had a crooked... <laughs> Amen. And that comes from uh, heresies. Uh, strife. Always got to have a fuss. Always got to have a fight. Always got to argue. Always got to stir something up. Always got to stick their nose in somebody else's business and be a busybody in other men's matters. Lord, what's John going to do? Peter, if he lives till I come again, what's that to you? You feed my sheep. Ain't none of your business, Peter. Too many Pinocchios in this house. That's flesh. Envyings. That green-eyed monster of envy. Boy, she got that new dress on. I tell you what, I wouldn't wear that to a dog fight. The only thing wrong with that dress is she bought it before you got it. And it was on sale at Walmart. Murders. Wouldn't shoot nobody, but boy, would murder and slander their testimony. Yeah, I know, but Boy, here it comes. Drunkenness. That's pills. That's liquor. That's beer. Preaching on the street over here in Greenville. I had a sign there, drunkard, fornicator, not inherit the kingdom of God. Oh, boy, come on. What's wrong with drinking? My pastor said it's all right. I said, well, your pastor's wrong. Amen. He said, well, Jesus turned the water to wine. I said, you can make it out of what he made it out of. Help, help yourself. He said, what do you mean? I said, they make that stuff out of old hog slop and fermented stuff. Jesus made it out of water. And you don't get fermented wine out of water. Drunkenness. You can get drunk on a lot of things. And then revelings. That's just dragging main, looking for something to get into, carousing. 
He said, and they that do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. If that's your practice, if that's your lifestyle, it's evident that you're not saved. It is a work. James got tired of this. He said, show me your faith by your works. Here today we have this easy believism decision is crowd, and here's the way they preach Lazarus. Boys, get a rope. Put it around his neck. We've got to get a decision out of that man. Drag him out here. Oh, he's out in the sunshine. There he is. There he is. Lazarus is out of the grave. Praise God. Sign him up. We got him in. Their Lazarus never breathes. He never moves. He still stinks. And eventually, they have to put him back in the grave. But that ain't how it happened. They couldn't do nothing with Lazarus. But Jesus showed up. And Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. And supernatural power from Almighty God came into him and life came into his being. And as he came forth, Jesus said, loose him and let him go. And when they pulled that mask off his face, he went to spitting out spices. And when they cut his arms loose, he began to wave his arms. And when they cut his legs loose, praise God, he started kicking his feet. Life came in him. There was a total transformation. He that was dead is now alive. And the next time you see him, he's sitting across the table. And you know what he's doing? He's eating. And you know why he's eating? Because he has an appetite. And the reason he has an appetite is because he's got life in it. And if there's no appetite, no life. Now Lazarus wasn't alive because he came out of the grave. He came out of the grave because Jesus made him alive. I'm not saved by works, but I breathe because I'm alive spiritually. And your body is going to get forth effort and do things because you have life in it. And if you have spiritual life, the evidence is that you're saved by the grace of God. Hallelujah. Don't you like it? So they that do such, if that's your practice, you're still in the grave. You never have come out. I don't care if they've signed you up and all the rest of it. Say amen. But, verse 22, he said, Now, you want to know what a real Christian is? You Galatians have been biting and devouring each other. You've been busting up and hating each other, full of all these things. He said, Now, you want to know what a real Christian is? Here it is. The fruit of the Spirit, not the works of the flesh, but the product of getting full of the Holy Ghost is this. Love. You don't want to know what that is. Go to 1 Corinthians 13. Well, a lot of people say, well, you know, just give us love. Give us love. Just give us love. You know what love is in the Bible? Old boy took a church. First Sunday morning, he preached on hell. Sunday night, he preached on the lake of fire. Wednesday night, he preached on the region of the dam. Sunday morning, he preached on snares, fire, and brimstone. Old deacon came to him and said, you got any messages on love? He said, yep, going to start a series tonight. And so he got up and he preached on love not the world, neither things that are in the world. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. Love your neighbors yourself. The fruit of the Spirit is love. The old deacon came back to him and said, You got any more of them hellfire and brimstone sermons? <laughs> Go check 1 Corinthians 13 out and you'll get God's definition of what love is. And this kind of love he's talking about is not natural love. Romans 5 said the love of God is shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Ghost that's given unto us. This love that Stephen had, this love that Jesus had, you can't produce that. It's not in me and it's not in you. But when you get full of the Holy Ghost, he sheds abroad some stuff that's not in us as natural human beings. Love, joy. Got the joy, joy, joy down in my heart. You operate in the Spirit of God, you get full of joy. Religion will make you morbid. I've listened to those Orthodox in the Republic of Georgia sing. It sounds like an Alfred Hitchcock soundtrack. I mean, awful. Religion, oh, it'll sour you up and make you miserable. But boy, getting full of the Holy Ghost gives you joy. <laughs> that old boy got saved and he leaped and he jumped for joy. Rejoice because your names are written in the book. Then peace, peace. Man, peace with God and then the peace of God in our heart. He'll give his beloved sleep. 
We'll have peace. There won't be troubled and turmoil by everything under when we get full of the Holy Ghost. Long-suffering. That'll help us to suffer and then suffer a little bit longer. Gentleness. I was always amazed at Percy Ray. Man, he'd preach and he'd have the demons of hell screaming and howling. He'd have 25 people saved. Boy, I mean, he'd just hold you out. All, and then he'd sit on, on the front row. And I watched it out here at Balfour Baptist. There's 25 or 30 little old youngins come lined up. Every one of them want to give him a hug. Or Jesus, man enough to take the plaid of car and run that money, Jewish money changer out of their business. He had to be a man to get that crowd out of there. And yet the little children came to him. Gentleness. Gentleness. Goodness. Just being good. Just doing good. Oh, yeah, goody too, she's now full of the Holy Ghost. Another fruit of the Spirit is faith. Believing God. Not settling down in dismay, discouragement, or despair, but full of faith. Meekness. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is power under control. The old ox is a meek animal. But if he decided to, he could ruin the country. But he's meek enough to stay under the yoke and just pull right on. Moses, the meekest man on the face of the earth. Aaron and Miriam got to jawing. Yeah, who's, that, who's that Ethiopian fellow over there telling Moses what to do and get 70 elders there to do the judging and all that? Him judge the big guy. Don't you know that God called us just like he called him? Yep, 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 yep. And all of a sudden, the pillar of fire came over the tabernacle and God said, Moses, Miriam, Aaron, into my office right now. Boy, Moses is going to take it. He wasn't going to worry about it. But God said, oh, no. And he smote Miriam with leprosy, put her outside the camp seven days, and spoke Aaron with leprosy, and said, here's what I think about your mouth. And you leave my man alone. Amen. Meekness is letting God fight you back. Right. Yeah. I used to get aggravated Brother Raymond. Guys, some stuff would come up. And I said, Brother Raymond, what won't you deal with that? He said, just pray about it. Just be patient. Let's watch God. God will handle it. And lo and behold, guess what? God handle it. <laughs> and when God handled it, there wasn't nobody could look at him and say, I think we just overstep our bounds sometimes instead of turning it over to God and then watch God handle it. And I've watched him handle it too many times. Amen. And then temperance. That's the ability to say no. We do our kids a disfavor, put this, just say no, just say no. Put it all in our public school. Now, don't, don't use the Bible. Don't use the preacher. Don't use the Holy Ghost. Just say no. That's like putting a big old sign up down there at the hog pen saying, Hog, say no to slop. <laughs> you put a sheep nature in that old hog and turn him into a sheep, you don't have to say, just say no to slop. He'll want to say no to slop. There'll be something in him that'll say, I reject the slop. <laughs> you get where we're going. God said, you can't get spiritual by the law and the merit system. You get spiritual by getting your eyes on Jesus and worshiping him by the power of the blood and then getting full of the Holy Ghost of God. Look what he says. He says, you follow after this rule. He says in Galatians 6, 16, as many as walk according to this rule. He tells us we're in chapter 5, verse 25, live in the Spirit, walk in the Spirit. Chapter 5, verse 18, led of the Spirit. Verse 16, walk in the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is, and that's why I said in Ephesians, be you filled with the Spirit. Oh, you're charismatic. You're talking about a deeper life. It's a deeper life, all right, but it's not the deeper life they're talking about. The life that I now live, I live by faith of the Son of God. And what we have done is we've eliminated the power of the Holy Ghost. And when a real revival comes, it's because the power of the Holy Ghost comes. And He energizes and empowers His people to do what we normally don't do and to do what we can't do. You can't walk on the water by yourself, but you got your eyes on Jesus. You're full of the Holy Ghost. He sustains you. And we've got to have revival, but it only comes by the power of the Holy Ghost of God. It is evident the just 
shall live by faith. I know some of you got your computers computing. You go back through the Galatians on your own and see if what I've preached tonight is not according to the Word of God. And I encourage every believer, don't ever get to relying on this flesh. The old song, Stand Up for Jesus. The arm of flesh will fail you. You dare not trust your own. I don't trust my own, but I do trust him who is faithful. Let's stand all over the house. So after Galatians, what should my prayer be? Lord, you justified me. Now, Lord, I want to live for you by the power of the Holy Ghost through the promises of God. Lord, I pray you fill my soul that it might be a product. Fruit is a product of a living union. Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Cut the branch off from the vine. You can't produce any fruit. The vine has to have, the branch has to have a connection with the vine, and the sap has to flow. That's why we're hung out to dry. We can't grieve the Spirit, and we can't quench the Spirit. But we yield to Him, and as a result, that fruit will flow. Hallelujah. Preacher. I pray that, Lord, we be that as priests.